Welcome to the Fresh Start Church Podcast, where we exist to influence a nation with revival. Here you'll find preached messages from our pastors. We pray that the spirit of revival is imparted to you as you listen. To watch live, check us out on YouTube or visit our website at freshstartaz.com. And to stay connected with us, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Over the last two weeks, I kept hearing a phrase. It was the conscience of a nation. I kept hearing it. The conscience of a nation. The conscience of a nation. Finally, last week, I gave in to it and Googled it. And this is what popped up. The conscience of a nation. This is what popped up. The church must be reminded that it is not the master or the servant of the state, but rather the conscience of the state. It must be the guide and the critic of the state, and never its tool. If the church does not recapture its prophetic zeal, it will become and it will become an irrelevant social club without moral or spiritual authority. I quote Martin Luther King Jr. The conscience of a nation. Father pray this morning that you would fill my mouth with the word of the Lord and that there would be coherence in fluency in that I would articulate well what needs to be said Lord we are nothing but you are everything Holy Spirit come and speak to us today in the name of Jesus. And the church shouted. I said the church shouted. Give the Lord a mighty praise in this place. Hallelujah. 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 You can be seated this morning. I want to begin this morning in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. This short verse is probably maybe one of the most profound proverbs that we find in Scripture. It is not targeted at any certain nation, which means it can be applied to all nations, including America. It means as a nation, we must not measure ourselves by other nations, but we must measure ourselves by the word of God. This text, even though it is short, is composed of two alternatives. 
Two causes, each with its own effect. As a nation, we will embrace righteousness, which lifts a nation. Or we will embrace sin, which drags the nation down into shame, into disgrace, into reproach. What got my attention as I began to look and meditate upon this verse is that there's nothing in this verse that indicates that it is past, that it is predicated upon past or future conditions. But it is a present evaluation of our current condition. Nowhere do we see anything about our past righteousness will lift us today. Nor does it insinuate that our present sin will one day be in the future a reproach. It's very sobering to understand. No, what we see here is that the tense of this text is clear. That the righteousness of a nation elevates now. And the sin of a nation is a reproach now. Righteousness is not going to exalt one day, but it's going to exalt a nation now. Sin is not going to be, bring reproach one day. It's going to bring reproach now. What this is revealing to us is that every nation, every generation is responsible to where its nation lands in righteousness or sin. There is no middle ground. The verse gives us no middle ground. Every nation will be one or the other, but not both. We can choose man's ways, or we can choose God's ways, but not both. We can ascend to the hill of the Lord and stand in the holy place with clean hands and a pure heart. Or we can... Stay in the low places, but not both. So what this verse does to us, just stay with me. What this verse does to us is it leaves us with an implied choice. of choice. That as a nation and as a people, no matter what time we were born and how many bloodshed battlefields for righteous cause have been fought. Every nation rises and falls on who it is today. History is beautiful, but the condition of our nation and its future does not lie in its history. It lies in the choices that we make today. And this is why I have come this morning with a burning in my soul to prophesy over this nation that today is the day of salvation and to declare over this nation that America shall be saved. 
You said, I don't believe it. Get out of my way. Oh, you may say, I don't believe America will be saved. Well, my friend, listen, if you hear somebody preaching that America will not be saved, you need to run away from them as fast as possible because they're cursing the future of your children. They're cursing the future of your grandchildren. But I've come to say, today is the day that America can... You know what Proverbs 11, 11 says? It says, the blessing of the favor resting on the righteous influences a city to lift it higher. But wicked leaders tear it apart by their words. The ecclesia must not relinquish his voice to those that are in leadership who have wicked things to say about our nation. But the righteous shall lift up their voices. My God, somebody help me in this place. See, I'm tired of the words of the wicked defining and creating who America will be. It is time for the ecclesia to lift up the voice of righteousness once again. It is time to roar with righteousness over our nation. Call it back to God. For we are the conscious of a nation. One of the challenges that we have today, one of the challenges that we have today in our nation is we're wanting to redefine everything. We all know about that, so I don't have to deal with that, but, but what's really important is that we are redefining the terms of righteousness. Righteousness cannot be played with. Righteousness exalts, elevates, lifts any nation on this people planet. Not just America. Any nation where a people will choose righteousness, their nation will be elevated. We ignore God's definition. We redefine righteousness, which means in the process, we redefine sin. And then as we are ignoring God's definition, now what we're doing is setting our own standard of righteousness. Now we say this is righteous, and this is sin. But it used to be, yeah. But that, 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 this. No, today it's this, and we modify truth until we find a sweet spot that we can live with that does not press on our current level of unrighteousness and sin. If you're wondering what this is, it's called revival preaching. 
this, 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 this is profound. The reason I'm preaching this to us and the reason I'm carrying this burden today is that this, this is not only being propagated by a culture, it is being propagated uh, not just by progressivism, uh, but it is also being propagated by the progressive church. So it's outside and inside. Remember, the church is the conscience of a nation. So when the church and culture begins to reduce morality to social and political decisions, debates, and personal preference, and opinions and personal rights, we lose righteousness. Instead of the church and a nation seeking what is right in God's eyes, we point our fingers at the government. We point our fingers at the far left progressives, not realizing that the church has become resistant and have fallen below the standard of righteousness that our Bible raises. If you want to know what the standard of righteousness is, it's in this book. You can go all the way back to the Ten Commandments if you want to and understand this is, and Jesus came in and expanded the Ten Commandments, and this is the, the standard of righteousness. This book is the standard of righteousness. I don't care who preaches it. I don't care who doesn't preach it. I don't care who believes it and who doesn't believe it. It is God's standard of righteousness. Don't let them take your Bible. Don't let them take it. Don't let them tell you it's antiquated. Don't let them take it. It's no more relevant uh, to, to our culture and that we don't need it anymore. It's too strict. It's too binding. No, my friend, it is freeing. It is deliberate. Ah, liberating. So what we need today, I believe, is a revival of righteousness. Leave culture, leave the world for a moment and let's go into the church. You know, every revival, just about every revival in history has been based on a fundamental societal understanding concerning what is right and what is wrong. What is sin? What is moral? And as a nation, when society began to move away from that agreed upon understanding, Everybody knew it. Everybody realized, wait a minute, something isn't right. I'm talking about redeemed and unredeemed. 
Everybody knew. No, 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 that's, no. I ain't religious and I ain't saved. But that ain't right. Their conscience and the collective conscience of a nation understood that's not right. They may not know why it's not right, but except that they feel that that's wrong. And there was a degree upon standard that was placed on the, in, the, in a nation that we realized there are certain things you just don't do. They're wrong, and we don't do them as a nation. We don't do them as, as a quality people. We don't do them. And so what, what, so what happened was is when the nation got off track and the nation began to go down the wrong road, and begin to, to, to expand the things inside of them that are saying, no, this ain't right, this ain't right, this ain't right. God would raise up preachers. Revival preachers. And they would preach the gospel. And they would preach it with power and conviction. And when they preached against sin and unrighteousness, with power and conviction, then the consciousness of a nation would come back to God. They would come to repentance. Revival would take place. Oh, y'all are hearing me right now. They would feel the conviction of their sin. They would repent, turn to God. And the way that revival would continue to grow was they would be the, it would be based upon repentance and returning back to God. So there was this fundamental understanding of righteousness. And if you drop below the fundamental step of righteousness, you need to repent and come back to God. In the church and out of the church. If you're in the church and your life drops below the standard of righteousness of the word of God and, and, and it is preached into, then you understand. I've got to repent and I've got to come back to God. I'm pressing on this because I'm fixing to say something. And you need to understand that. That when there is an agreed upon standard of righteousness between the redeemed and the unredeemed as a nation, then a nation has a collective consciousness that says this is wrong. But when a nation continues in a direction and all of a sudden the agreement is broken, See, my friend, I have come to tell you, because I'm going to be straight up with this today so we can get somewhere, that we have to understand there is no such standard in our nation anymore. There is no agreed upon standard of righteousness. Oh, we may have it in this church, but you've got to understand, in our nation, whatever goes, goes. And when you reach this point, it's when you call good things evil and evil things good. As a collective conscience... I feel this because God's getting ready to do something in this niche. The modern church, to use a nice term, much of it has lost its sense of sin. It's not so much 
that we as believers sin. But it's that we have lost the sense of our sin. This, this, this year, so, so here's the deal. When an individual or a church or a nation, when we lose our sense of sin, repentance cannot happen. And if repentance cannot happen, revival will not happen. If I've preached it a hundred times in the last eight years, seven years, no repentance, no revival. No repentance, no revival. Revival is not a game. Revival is not a happy clappy. Revival is when God steps down in his glory, power, and holiness and begins to turn something on the inside of his church that causes us to fall on our face and say, you are holy, holy, holy. Are y'all okay? Our Bible says in 2 Corinthians, just, just wade through this with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul speaking to the church of Corinth. Talking to believers. Now I am overjoyed, not because I made you sad, but because your grief led you to a deep repentance. You experienced godly sorrow, and as God intended it, brought about a gain for you, not a loss. Not that no, no harm has been done by us. In verse 10, wow. God designed us to feel remorse over sin in order to produce repentance that leads to victory. This leaves us with, that, with no regret, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. This, this, this is teaching us here <laughs> that when a child of God, a son and a daughter of God have sin in their life, that the Spirit of God will work on them to bring them into repentance. And Paul is saying this is a good thing that God has built us in a way as his son and daughter that when we have sin in our life, whether it is active sin or, or, or occasional, whatever, just, let's, just, let's just say sin in our lives, that we cannot live before him without feeling guilty of our sin. I know this is going to mess a lot of people up in the church today because, see, they're telling us we don't have to feel guilty about our sin. You see, 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 the grace message, the grace, not the true grace message, but the false grace message tells us that our sin has already been forgiven, past, present, future. So even if you sin, don't worry about it. Don't let guilt get on you because God won't put guilt on you. But Paul's saying he may not put it on me, but he built me internally to know when I sin 
and that I am going to have grief. I'm going to have remorse. I'm going to have guilt until I fall on my face and repent. See, now, 20 years ago, you could preach that. But today, our culture has declared war on guilt. They would call me cruel, but Paul said, I'm not cruel. I'm helping you. See, our culture, and really much of the church, I am concerned will celebrate sin but will not tolerate the guilt that it produces. They tell us that one, I believe the numbers are one out of every five transgenders commit suicide. And they say that's because we do not accept them for who they are. I say it's because there's a conscience that God is working on. Just. You know, repentance, our Bible is telling us here, is a result of the stirring of our conscience. Remorse is a feeling that God puts in us intended to bring us back into relationship with him. If you struggle in sin and you know it is wrong and you have this inner guilt, this inner conviction, I, I, I say you're in a good place. But if you can sin without, the conscience. You see, the longer a nation or a generation Resist the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Their collective conscience becomes seared. I said their collective conscience becomes seared. Matter of fact, Acts 7.31, as Peter stood on the day of Pentecost, declared, he said, you stiff-necked, uncircumcised, in your heart and in your ears, I would say in your conscience, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. I must say this and declare it. We must understand this clearly, that resisting the Holy Spirit can become a generational curse. Peter said, you always resist the Holy Spirit. So did your father, and so did your father's father. They always rejected the Holy Spirit. And I'm looking at a nation of generations that have rejected truth, and rejected truth, and rejected truth. And here we are today, a nation under a generational curse. 
If this is too heavy, hang on, it'll get better. Do, 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 do we, do we even understand the conscience? I'm going to take a minute. I, I, men of God, just give me a minute because I dealt with this a little bit in our last man up, but I want to deal with it quickly, quickly here this morning because when I'm talking about the church being the conscience of a nation, then we must understand how the conscience works. What is it? How does it work? Personally, humanly, but as the, as the church of Jesus Christ. A conscience is something that everyone is born with. Everyone has a conscience. And everyone starts in life with a good conscience. The conscience is the part of our soul that gives us the ability to discern what is good, what is evil, what is right, what is wrong. The conscience of man was awakened in the fall. When man ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Before then, he only knew good. He only knew good. But the word knowing in, in the book of Genesis, we know is the word intimacy. The Hebrew word for intimacy. So they were intimate with good. Until they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then, by intimate experience, their conscience was violated. They had never went against the goodness of God. They did not know evil. But now that they knew evil, their conscience was violated. And it was emotionally distressing. It wasn't an easy thing for them to deal with. They had never dealt with it before. They had never dealt with it. They had never dealt with guilt. They had never dealt with shame. They have never dealt with regret. Probably everyone in this room have dealt with all of those emotions. You see, you have to understand whether you acknowledge God or not. You were created to have fellowship with the, our creator. And when we do wrong, we sense that we're out of step with our creative purpose, which is to worship God and to serve God. The conscience is, is like a spiritual warning, um, a warning system. It sounds the alarm when, when we're veering off of God's intended purpose for our life and our relationship with him. It goes off. It's like the proverbial alarm clock. It does two things. It stays quiet when we are asleep and it makes noise to wake us up when we need to wake up it says stop wake up but when we're when when the conscience is working right we are at peace we have a good conscience we're okay it, it just doesn't make any noise at all but when we pull toward things that are wrong for us in wrong directions and path a good conscience will sound the alarm a good conscience means your conscience just does what God created it to do Yes. There are many verses of the Bible that deal with the conscience. I will look at two. One is Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 1.15. It says, the pure, all, to the pure all things are pure, but to those who are corrupt and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and their conscience are corrupted. A corrupt conscience will approve of the wrong things. When we 
make choices that overrule our conscience. It begins to diminish in power. It leaves us less sensitive, less effective. It violates the inward standard of righteousness that God has placed in us. The challenge for us today and for our nation is that our culture is addicted to corruption. When you take and a conscience that was once good is now corrupted. It will begin to feel like nothing is wrong with our sin. Which when not dealt with through repentance, confession, and forgiveness moves from a corrupt conscience to a seared conscience. First Timothy 4.2, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. The word seared there means to cauterize, like to cauterize a wound. And then when somebody had a cut and they couldn't stop the bleeding, they would cauterize it. They would take an iron, a flat iron, burning heat. Even though it was painful at first, what they realized is when they would cauterize a wound that the nerve endings would die. There would be no feeling there anymore. The pain wore off. You see, it's the same with the conscience. The conscience has lost all sensitivity. Now we sin without guilt, with shame. It must be okay. I feel okay about it now. I'm at peace with it. One theologian called the seared conscience the leprosy of the soul. This is heavy but real. See, leprosy is, has to do with your nerve endings. When a person has leprosy, they, it's not that their body rots and falls apart. It's that their nerve endings, they can feel nothing. So they're constantly bumping into things and pressing into things. And, 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 and they don't know how hard they're pressing on themselves. And, 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 and their body parts begin to, to, to rot away because it's, it's, it's a nervous. Their nerves are, are destroyed. Their nerve endings. So is a seared conscience. Someone said we have an unholy church because we no longer feel our fear, our sin. Once a conscience is corrupted, Once a conscience is seared and corrupted, the only way that it can be restored is it has to be reactivated. Lord, help me say this the way I see it. The conscience of a nation is the responsibility of the church. 
in the realm of morality and ethics. We have a part to play and should not be ashamed that we can speak truth to a nation that a nation once again would be reactivated and understanding the realm of their sin. The best I could come up with, and I don't have all the answers this morning, but I have come up with this and it's burning in my soul. That the only thing that will reactivate a conscience is the very thing that activated it in the first place. You must understand that the only thing that will reactivate the conscience of an individual, the conscience of the church, is the Holy Spirit conviction. It is conviction from on high. It is God restoring back to the heart of the church a sensitivity to their own sin and a sin a nation turning back to the sensitivity of its own sin. We can't keep calling wrong things right and right things wrong. The longer you do it, the easier it becomes. It's time for the church to get up and surrender ourselves to the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. Give me about 10 more minutes and I'm going to preach this thing right now. You see, I believe the next thing that God is going to do in the earth is loose a wave of Holy Spirit conviction. It is the hope of a nation. It is the hope of a nation that a nation can be invaded by the power of the Holy Spirit that convicts them of their sin. But it's not going to begin in our culture. It's going to begin in the church. Judgment begins in the house of the Lord. Church, get ready. Church, get ready. Church, get ready. I wish I could tell you peace is coming. I wish I could tell you joy is coming. I wish I could tell you power is coming. But I have come to tell you conviction is. Shout if you believe it. See, I, I, I'm coming to this understanding that conviction is a part of revival. It's just a part of revival, getting conviction back in the church. It's not new. Conviction is not spiritual height. It is holiness unto the Lord. I'm just letting you know the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. Because year eight is going to be a year of stepping into glory and joy and peace, miracles. before any of that Jesus said he said in John chapter 16 verse 8 
that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world. Obviously, Jesus was talking about the day of Pentecost. He said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world. What will he convict him of? Sin, righteousness, and judgment. I had preached from this verse many times, and I was looking over it again this week, and I was saying, I'm missing something. The Holy Spirit, when he comes, will convict in the same word there is convinced. It can use both words. Modern church likes the word convinced because it doesn't sound as horrifying as convict. I prefer conviction. So I don't know about you, but I need it. I'm not, I'm not where you are yet. I need it. And then, then I saw it, that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world. First glance is the unredeemed. But the, the, the Greek word for world there isn't people on a planet. It's the word cosmos, which means world system. Ordered system. One theologian said it means an ordered system. It is man-centered, Satan-directed, demonically influenced, and the unsaved are subject to it. So when the Holy Spirit comes, he's not just going to convict the heart of people. He's not just going to convince people they need God and they need Jesus and they need a Savior. He's going to convict systems. See, he is a God of people, but he is a God of nations. And nations are ruled by ordered systems. They are man-centered. They are Satan-influenced. They are demonically empowered. They hold the lost under their weight of the spirit and the agenda of the Antichrist. But when the Holy Spirit comes... I'm telling you the wave of conviction that's about ready to slap this people planet. It's about ready to be so hard. It's going to knock systems out of the way. Somebody shout yes. Now let me work on this just a minute and we'll close. Because we need to understand conviction. Because it is what reactivates the conscience of a man. So therefore it is, what, it is what activates the spirit of a nation or the system that the nation is ruled by. So get ready for the wave of conviction. What does that mean? That means you're going to have moments of deep disturbing encounters as the Holy Spirit begins to reveal to us our own sin.
The reason we get by with so much is because we measure ourselves by ourselves. The reason we feel so good about our holiness is because we look at the brother sitting next to us and we say, I think I'm a little more holy than he is. I think I'm a little more holy than she is. But God's getting to reveal us. He's going to be re- reveal us, not by the holiness of the one we sit by on Sunday morning. He's going to begin to reveal to us his holiness, his righteousness, his, his standard. And when we do, we will find all of us fall short. And it can be disturbing. A true believer does not fear what I'm saying, but embraces what I'm saying. Because they want to get all the sin they can get out out. I don't want to walk with any of it. I'm not a perfect man and I'm far from it. And I have feet of clay and I'm not up here judging anybody. All I know is when the comforter comes, he comes and causes Christ's. A real revivalist? We'll find out. We're going to find out who the revivalists are or not. I don't care how many demons you cast out. I don't care how many people you pray for and they get healed. What I want to know, what are you going to do when conviction comes? A true revivalist relishes the convicting power. Folks, I have been there and it is not fun. I have been there and he's shined his light on my darkness. I have been there and I thought I was doing pretty good. Thought I had a pretty good standard going. Thought I was living a higher place than ever before. But when the light of God's glory comes and shines upon you, it causes you to tremble and fear of his glory, his power, his holiness. See, as a revivalist, we must refuse to live under the tyranny of any sin. Because we have too many, all of us, that we think, ah, not that bad. I think that's acceptable. Right? Just don't look at the person to the right or left. Keep looking straight ahead and say, that's right. So, so there was a gentleman and his wife that were here. I think it was the last prayer of America. Sergio Scatellini. Remember when he stepped up on the stage, the glory of God just came into this place. Just a very humble, non-assuming man. Who has had an amazing encounter in a revival in Argentina and other places in the world. He has a book, it's called uh, uh, I'll Never Forget It, It's Life Changing. <laughs> the Fire of God's Holiness, I think's the name of it. The Fire of God's Holiness. And uh, the premise of the book is an encounter. I'm going to tell you his whole encounter because I hope to have him here one day and share it with us. But his encounter was just on a sleepy Sunday morning in a service. A group of young people gathered around him and prayed over him because he was going to minister actually at another church. 
And when they did, the fire of God came. And I'm going to take you to the whole story because, like I said, I'll let him do that. But the the premise is is that it it lasted for several weeks, and it it would come and go, and it would come and go, and it would come and go. In church, out of church, wherever he would, it would come and go. And one of the things that the Lord spoke to him, when when he moved into the season of the fire of God purifying him, he thought he was pretty good. He thought he was at a pretty good level of, of, of purity. And the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said to him, 98% is not enough. is not enough. And the Lord gave him an analogy. He said, if I had this bottle of water, and I told you this bottle of water is 98% cool, crystal clean water, and only 2% is sewage. Is that pure enough for you? Is that pure enough for you? Can I be honest with you? I don't even know if I'm at 98% or not. I don't even know if I'm there or not. All I know is I know it's not enough. It's not enough. If he wants it all, I want him to have it all. It's time that we run away from acceptable Christianity. It's time we say, oh, oh, my brother, it may be for you, but it's not for me. Yes. I'm almost done. I should be done. <sighs> Here's the deal. And this is, this is truth. Truth. That in revival, God is known that he turns his wrath into mercy. Revival is when God turns his wrath into mercy. May I submit to you, church, that we must raise the standard of righteousness. And we must not only run to the throne of grace to obtain mercy. Oh, we can run there. There's a mercy seat. The throne of grace, there's a mercy seat. We can run there, but we must not only run to the throne of grace, but we also must run to the throne that, fi- that has its foundation in righteousness and injustice. In righteousness and injustice. Our God is righteous, but our God is just. And I have come to tell you this morning, the reason he, he will turn our wrath into mercy, but he still lets us feel our sin, and he lets us feel it so we will hate it. And when you hate it, for the first time in your life, you will walk away from it. Can I get some help up in this place? Get up on your feet and shout yes. Watch this. Let me finish this right here because it's time for the church to get bold. It's time for the church to take its spiritual weight without fear and without favor and begin to shoot the arrows of conviction at the collective conscience of a nation.
That was a mouthful right there. And some of y'all already checked out. I didn't get you standing because I'm done, nor is God. I've got you standing because I want you to understand this is our position. We are not just seated in heavenly places. We are standing in front of a throne of righteousness and judgment. Ecclesia, church in America, we are the tip of the spear. We are the tip of the arrow of conviction. Our Bible says on the day of Pentecost in chapter 2 of Acts, that Peter stood, the ones that had failed, the one that had failed, stood that day, You see, when Peter fell, he didn't just ignore it. He didn't just ask, it's no big deal, Jesus has got me. Our Bible says that he wept bitterly. Why? Because when he locked eyes with Jesus, the convicting presence of the Holy Spirit came upon him. And he wept bitterly, our Bible says. And when he wept, healing came into his soul. You know why conviction needs to come on this nation and the church? It's because we need to be made whole. We're so messed up, still broken. The enemy's still working on us. Peter didn't realize how deep his failure went until he saw the eyes of Jesus. And he left. Judas, on the other hand, betrayed him. Repented on some level because he took the money that he sold the life of Jesus for, slung it at the religious leaders of his day. But he could not live with himself. He could have he could not find a place of repentance he could have been healed but instead it drove him to deep distress until he took his own life see there's only one path to true joy and peace it's in repentance it's in cleansing confession forgiveness And the only one that can give that to us purely and wholly is Jesus. Peter stood on that day and preached and he released the arrows. And our Bible says that his words pricked them to cut deeply. He went past the surface into their soul spoke to their soul and conviction came and all they could do was say what must we do to be saved see that is still the proper response to conviction what must I do to be saved you can't point your finger long enough and hard enough 
into somebody's face and make them want Jesus. But the Holy Spirit, he said when he comes, he will convict. And when he convicts, you don't have to ask him, do you want to be saved? They'll ask you, how can I be saved? Thank you for listening in to the Fresh Start Church podcast, where we exist to influence a nation with revival. You can order Pastor Kim's book, Doorkeepers of Revival, at doorkeepersofrevival.com. And you can listen to Fresh Start Revival Worship on Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you stream your music. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time.